Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. I want to tell you, um, I'm in the summer spirit because I've been thinking a lot about Disneyland lately. And uh, Megan and I have been talking about uh, taking our kids to Disneyland uh, together. Megan has taken our daughter uh, one time, um, but, but we haven't all gone as a family. And I'm, I'm excited, but I've got to admit, I'm a little nervous about taking, you know, little people who can escape you. Um, I, I've been researching leashes online uh, <laughs> because I just... I have anxiety about it, right? I mean, here's the thing. I'm I'm nervous about it because I just know it's going to be crowded. It's always crowded. And I just know we're not going to be able to go on every single ride that I would want to go on because of the kids. And Emmy's not quite tall enough for half the things anyways. And I'm so worried about keeping us together as we go through the crowds. I'm worried that I'm going to be not enjoying the day, but I'm going to be always doing this. And some of you have been like, well, yeah, welcome to being a parent. Um, And I'm just, I'm wrestling with that reality and stuff. But I mean, I also have really big hope as well. Like I just, I have this huge hope that it'll be just as magical as when I first went. And I have a memory of one of the first times I, I went to Disneyland. I must have been, I don't know, six years old or so. And uh, my, my parents and, and myself and my brother, we were going, and we, we were standing that long line outside of the gate, right? You know, you've got your ticket, but now you're standing in line, and you're like, it's right there. Why is it taking so long? And we're just waiting in line, and you're creeping up and getting closer, and I was just so excited. Like, I was a little six-year-old with all the energy of a six-year-old, and I was so excited. And then we get in through the gate, and you step inside, and there, there's that, that, that hillside that greets you, right, with the, the flowers and grass arranged in a Mickey face, you know, and right above it is the train station. And I couldn't believe my eyes. I was just like, this is the best day ever, because I love Mickey. And trains are super cool. And so I was just like bouncing with energy. And then my parents said, hey, come over here. And I'm like, but what about the, what, what, where are we going? And we had to go into this little tunnel on the side. I'm like, but why, why are we leaving that already? I didn't want to leave the Mickey flowers and the train. But I mean, in the tunnel, there's some cool posters that are Disney themed. I mean, that's cool, I guess. And you walk through the tunnel and then all of a sudden you open up to the courtyard of Main Street, USA. And then you can see the castle in the distance. And I couldn't believe my eyes. It was bigger on the inside. I was so excited to hang out with the Mickey flowers in the train. But I didn't know everything else that was in there until my parents invited me in to experience. I mean, just imagine if I'd stayed there back in the Mickey flowers in the train. I'd be like, Disneyland is great. Look, they have flowers in the shape of Mickey. And that train keeps going by and it's so cool and pretty and stuff like that. But I never would have ridden the train or Matterhorn or Space Mountain or Indiana Jones, the best ride of all time. I wouldn't have experienced it. And the whole rest of the day, we just kept going and going and the park kept going and going. It was so much bigger on the inside. So, I have that memory, and I definitely have hopes for my kids to have some of that experience of the excitement of that. And Megan and I, all we have to do is just set a date, and we actually have to take action. We have to make it happen. We can't just be hoping about it. we got to do it. And so my question for you today is, what about you? What is something that you 
have a hope for? Is the hope that you have something that seems vague and far away? Or is the hope something that is motivating you, transforming your daily habits and actions to point you in the direction of that hope? So in today's Jesus story, we're going to be talking about hopes and what Jesus thinks of our hopes and how our hopes interact with our actions. So we're going to read the last section of Luke chapter 8. We're starting in verse 40. I invite you to read along with me. It's also going to be on the screen. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our passage begins with Jesus returning from the region of the Gerasenes, where he had healed the demon-possessed man and caused quite a stir among the people in the Gentile region across the lake. That's what Pastor Chris talked about last week. So now, Jesus is back on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee, and there's a crowd waiting for him. I mean, remember, Jesus has had crowds before. He has already gotten quite the reputation of being a miracle worker, being a healer, feeding people wherever he goes. And maybe even some of the stories from across the lake on the Gentile side have made their way back, casting out the, demon, uh, the demons from that possessed man and all the other things he did over there. So this crowd is expectant and excited that Jesus is back. And they all have needs, right? Some of them need help. Some of them need healing. Some need food. And some just need to be there to see what happens when this Jesus guy arrives. And then all of a sudden the crowd parts a bit because there's a man named Jairus who's a respected leader in the community, and he's trying to get to Jesus. His face is desperate and determined. And everyone knows why. His only daughter 
is dying. The whole town knows about it, and whatever needs they felt they had are smaller in comparison to the immediate crisis that Jairus is facing. And even though he's called a ruler in our text, I want us to notice that he, he shows up humbly to plead his case before Jesus. He falls at Jesus' feet. The Greek word that's used uh, gives us the image of him throwing himself down at Jesus' feet because he's just been pushing through the crowd and rushing to get to Jesus as soon as he heard that he was back. And we can imagine the torrent of emotions that this man is feeling. He's pleading for help. He's believing that Jesus is the only one who can help. He's trusting in Jesus' power and authority. And he's hoping that his daughter isn't too far gone or that they make it back in time so that Jesus can help. See, some of you have stood next to the hospital bed while your child wastes away. Some of you have cared for a sick child at home, vowing not to leave their side while they sleep. And you know, if you've experienced that, what a big deal it would be to leave your child's side. It would take some pretty big hope in something to get you to act like that. And that's the first thing that I want us to know about hope and healing today. Hope precedes healing. I wonder where we normally place our hope, especially when we're experiencing something that needs healing. I mean, maybe it could be a physical illness, or we're experiencing an emotional burden, or we have a strained relationship that needs healing. So what do we place our hope in for that healing? Because all of us hope in something to bring us the healing we desire, whether that's doctors or putting our hope in prayer, or in therapy, or in something else. But hope precedes healing. And where we place our hope dictates what we pursue to receive the healing that we're hoping for. And Jairus has left his daughter's bedside to pursue Jesus. Please, Jesus. My daughter, my little girl, she is... I need you to come help her right now. And Jesus doesn't even pause to ask the nature of the girl's illness. He immediately just sets off with Jairus, pushing through the thick crowds. But it seems that not everyone agrees that Jairus' request is first priority because they're crowding and they're crushing Jesus and his group as they try to follow Jairus. I mean, imagine, it must have been chaos, right? People pressing in from every direction, pleading their own cases, making their own requests. Please, Jesus, it'll only take a moment. Help me, Jesus. Please, I just need you. Help, Jesus. I haven't been able to. And those that are still pressing in from even further away are shouting their requests. And meanwhile, Jairus is shouting for people to move. And Jesus' disciples are trying to do their best to stay with their master. And, and there's hands outstretched everywhere. People are throwing elbows and mumbling prayers and shedding tears and pushing towards the center. And then Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And Peter, probably struggling to keep his place right beside Jesus, retorts with, what are you talking about, Jesus? Everyone is touching you. The whole crowd is pressing in. No, I felt power go out from me. Who touched me? And then the crowd goes silent. The healing man has stopped. 
He seems intent. The murmur spreads through the crowd. Someone touched him. He must not have liked that. Well, I didn't touch him. It wasn't me. Jairus, meanwhile, has stopped also, but he's confused and still freaking out a bit. What is Jesus doing? We don't have time. But Jesus is just standing there, looking at all the faces in the crowd. Someone touched me. Then, almost a whisper, it was me. The onlookers all strain to see as the crowd parts around a woman who's bent low and covering her face with a shawl. It was me. I touched you. Some of those closest to her recognize her. This was a ritually unclean woman. The one who had been cursed with that bleeding. She wasn't supposed to be here. She was supposed to stay outside of the town so that she didn't infect anyone else with her impurity. How many people had she bumped into in the crowd? Now they were all going to have to quarantine themselves and go through a purification ritual in order to be able to take part in the normal things in their community, all because she had been selfish and had touched people. And she had touched Jesus. She said it herself. So the eyes returned to the woman as she continued to explain herself a little louder now about how she had struggled with this illness for 12 years and no one could heal her. But she had hoped that maybe Jesus would be different. So she came into the village when he arrived and she snuck into the crowd and she she just touched the hem of his cloak and she could immediately feel it. She had been healed. See, the murmurs in the crowd ranged from disbelief to concerns about purity. But Jesus didn't seem to share their sentiment. He knew that when she touched him, the only thing that transferred was power, not impurity. Daughter, your faith has healed you. See, Jesus wasn't content with merely physically healing the woman. He could have felt the power go out from him and just kept walking, right? After all, she had gotten what she had hoped for. The bleeding she had endured for 12 years was finally gone. But Jesus knew that physical healing was only a part of what this woman suffered from. If he had let her sneak back through the crowd, no one else would have known that she was healed. She would have still been ostracized in her community. And even if she did finally convince a priest to examine her and prove that the bleeding had stopped, Her reputation in the community was that of the unclean woman who lives on the outskirts of the village. I mean, she must have done something for God to curse her with that bleeding for 12 years. She probably still has evil hidden in her. The fact that she had been dealing with her condition for 12 years means that all the children in the village would have spent their entire life being told to steer steer clear of her. She's the impure woman. She's bad. Stay away from her. I mean, pity her, but from a distance. Oh yeah, you can call her names because she probably deserves what happened to her. Jesus knew that her life would never be fully restored with merely a physical healing. So he chooses to stop and call her out from hiding in order for everyone to witness him declare that she is healed. And not only has he established that she is now healed, he points to the fact that it's because of her faith that she has been healed. Everyone in the village has just witnessed this exchange. 
Jesus made sure to do this because the healing he wanted for her included being restored to community. And then he even calls her daughter, dignifying her as a member of the family. I mean, what an incredible moment. Not only has this woman been healed, but what started out as timid faith that we recognize in the the passage where it says she came trembling, she fell at Jesus' feet, it grew into something more. The hope that the woman had that Jesus could heal her led her to take action to pursue the source of that hope. And that's the second thing that I want us to know about hope and healing today. Hope leads to action. See, hope on its own isn't a strategy for how we're supposed to live our our lives. Hopes on their own don't lead to life change. Jesus doesn't tell us to wait on the sidelines like a spectator in the crowd, passively hoping to be noticed. See, when our hopes are placed in something real, it leads us to seek out that thing or that person. So my question for you today is, are you feeling hopeless or hope-led? Hope in Jesus is meant to lead us to seek him out. See, both this woman and Jairus were moved by their hope to seek out Jesus. Hope leads to action. And so what started out as the woman's timid faith turned into a testifying faith as Jesus gave her the platform to tell her story, to give testimony to how she had been healed. And I imagine that woman is feeling amazing She's just been healed and she's been justified and commended in front of her whole community. Others in the crowd are marveling at what they've just witnessed. And then the happy moment is shattered when someone comes up to Jairus and tells him the news that he's been dreading. Your daughter is dead. See, Jairus had been waiting on the side while Jesus dealt with this woman, the impure one. He pitied her just as much as the next person, But why was Jesus taking so much time with her? His daughter was dying. Didn't she deserve more immediate attention? And now the messenger had confirmed his fear. They were too late. His little girl had died, and he wasn't even there to hold her hand. He had left to seek out Jesus because he had heard the stories, and he hoped that Jesus would be able to heal her. And so the adrenaline rush that he had from trying to push through the crowd to get back to his daughter morphed into anger at the woman for detaining Jesus. But then all the blood drained from his face as a realization set in that his daughter was gone. And all of his hopes for her were gone with her. All of us who've experienced the death of a loved one know that grief isn't just over the loss of what you had. It's also grieving over the loss of what you could have had in the future. All the experience that you still wanted to have together. All the memories that you had yet to build. All gone. And so that fear that had been quieted for a moment by the hope for healing comes roaring back as death steals the remaining life from you. Your world ends. Everything feels numb and on fire all at the same time. You feel so alone and afraid. But Jesus interjects with words of love that cast out fear. Don't be afraid. Just believe 
and she will be healed. See, Jesus knows that faith and fear are mortal enemies that are fighting for the hearts of every human. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Just have faith. Have faith. Have faith in what, Jesus? She's dead. We were running low on time, and now it's all gone. She's gone. I had told you that we needed to get back to her right now, but you chose to focus on something else, on someone else. Have faith. What's the point? My hope is gone. And this brings us to the third thing that I want us to know about hope and healing. The hope, the healing that we hope for is sometimes delayed. As Proverbs 13 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. See, when the healing that we hope for doesn't come in the timing or in the method that we want, we can lose hope. We think that God's response is no to our request. But this story shows us that sometimes God just manages time differently than us. And trusting in God's ability to show care for us also means trusting in God's timing. But that's not normally how we behave with God, is it? See, what we think God should be doing right now takes precedence in our mind. And so we get fixated and focus on that. But the priorities that we place at the top, God sometimes chooses to act on later. While the things that we would put off, he chooses to handle right away. And we might believe that God can help, but do we trust his timing? Or is our hope dependent on God delivering exactly in the way that we would dictate? How do we respond when the thing that we're hoping for is deferred or delayed? See, the woman had waited 12 years for healing. Maybe some of you have lived with something for that long or longer. And it's easy to lose hope when we've been waiting for that long. It's easy to give in to the fear that you'll never be restored. Don't be afraid, Jesus says to Jairus. Just believe and she will be healed. See, in the Greek, these are the same words that he had just said to the bleeding woman after she had been healed. Your pistis, your faith, has sozo, has healed you. And now, he says to Jairus, pistusan, just believe, just have faith in me, and your daughter will be sozo, will be healed. Don't be afraid, but have faith. But see, for Jesus, faith over fear isn't just a slogan that he throws around. It's a declaration of his sovereignty over all facets of human experience. He has authority over every single part of our life. And he demonstrates that authority by acting and bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And he lives out that power by bringing the abundant life offered in the kingdom of God with him wherever he goes, even if he's going to a place of death. And so when they get to Jairus' house... The public mourners are already outside, showing their support for the family during this time of tragedy. I bet you could hear their wails and cries from far away, even as they were walking up to the house. Jairus' face was probably becoming more and more dejected as they drew closer. And Jesus' face, though, 
is determined. See, no one's in the room with the girl because of superstition and ritual purity traditions. But Jesus isn't scared of impurity. Jesus isn't scared of death. So he crosses the boundary into the room, bringing with him only the two parents and his three closest friends. And while some of them, I imagine, stood as far away from the body as they could in that small room, Jesus goes straight to her, touching her hand to raise her up. My child, get up. And her colorless face begins to flush as her spirit returns to her, and she stood up. You see, with Jesus, death is only temporary. The bleeding woman had experienced a kind of death for 12 years. She had been cut off from her community and her life, relegated to isolation and judgment. And this young girl had barely gotten her life started before it was cut short. But Jesus' sovereignty over every facet of human life is the source of our hope as Christians, that we know there is life after death because of him. Death had visited that house, but with Jesus, death is only temporary. See, Jesus' timing for Jairus' request was different than Jairus had expected, right? He wanted Jesus to heal his daughter, but Jesus wasn't content with merely healing her. He wanted to restore her to life and restore her to community. So as soon as she stands up, Jesus says to get her something to eat because sharing a meal together is what families do. She's restored to her family. And that brings us to the final thing that I want us to know about hope and healing today. Jesus' healing is larger than our hopes. We tend to think small. Most people tend to have limited or immediate hopes. Like, we hope tomorrow will be better than today. Or, we hope that person will respond to us. Or, we hope the antibiotics kick in and relieve some of our symptoms. And sometimes, we think small because the thing, we've been conditioned to be realistic with our hopes, right? And that's why we think small. It's to be protective, to guard against disappointment. See, I can hope that tomorrow is better, but what I mean by that is I'm going to limit that to mean I hope the weather is more pleasant. Then I might get what I hope for. Or I can hope that I wake up a little bit more refreshed than I did today. Because if I hope that, is, that tomorrow is better in a way that would blow my mind and change my life, the world tells me that I'll probably end up disappointed. Or maybe we think small because the thing that we place our hope in is pretty small. Like, I hope this cough gets better, but the thing I'm placing my hope in is cough syrup and a nap. And so that's to say I'm not really hoping for much. But here's the problem. When we take our attitude to other things that we hope for, we tend to think small with Jesus, too. We hope for resolution to a stressful situation, and so we pray. But we hold back our hopes, and we don't really expect Jesus to show up and transform the situation. We hope for healing in a relationship because things have gotten strained, and we feel ourselves even pulling away and becoming bitter. And so we ask Jesus to, to change our hearts in some vague, fix-me-while-I-sit-here-passively kind of way. 
And then we continue with our day, and we don't really expect things to change, you know, unless a miracle happens, which is what we say when we don't really expect anything to happen. If that sounds familiar to you, and I know it sounds familiar to me, we're not putting our hopes in Jesus then. We aren't actually placing our faith in him. Because if we are truly believing in Jesus to be involved, then we would know that Jesus' healing is larger than our hopes. See, that new life that he's inviting us into is so much bigger than we had previously thought. It's not just the Mickey flowers in the train station. It's bigger on the inside. All we have to do is step in. Jesus comes not only to heal sickness, but to erase death. And he proved his power to do so that, that not only did he prove his power to, to erase death when he raised himself from the grave, but he's done it multiple times before. He raised this little girl from the dead. He raised that widow's only son from that city of Nain from, from a couple weeks ago. He raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. He's proved time and time again. Easter is not the only time that Jesus proved that with him, death is only temporary. Doesn't that give you hope? See, Jesus comes not only to heal the bleeding woman and restore her to community, but he also works to heal the community of their sinful judgment and their prejudice against her. See, do we realize how much bigger his healing is? See, when we pray for a relationship to be healed, Jesus is working to heal the pain that was caused, yes, but he's also working to heal our sense of entitlement that the other person should behave differently. He's also working to heal us from the judgmental hearts that always assume that that person's just going to let us down again, so why try? Does that give you hope? Jesus comes not only to heal Jairus' daughter, confirming that he is a miracle worker, he is a healer, yes, but he comes to raise her from the dead so that this synagogue leader, this religious leader from the village, doesn't only place his faith in Jesus as a healer, but can place his faith in Jesus as the Lord of life. Do we realize how much bigger his healing is? See, when we pray for something, when we pray for injustice to be healed in our city, Jesus is working to raise up advocates and healers. And he's also probably recruiting us into that mission. See, when we pray for the, the, the homeless person on the intersection, He's also working to heal our hearts of the assumptions we have while working to heal us of our busyness so that we can realize that maybe he's inviting us to be a part of the change that we're praying for. Does that give you hope? Because when we place our hope in Jesus, we see that the healing he offers, the life he offers, the forgiveness he offers, the reconciliation that he offers is bigger than what we had hoped. He doesn't let us just stay at the entrance, but he invites us in deeper to the kingdom of God. He invites us in further to the abundant living that he models for us. He invites us to trust him more and more and more, to have even more faith, to have faith that he can do more than we think or imagine in us and around us. So how do you need Jesus to offer you hope today? We all need Jesus to give us hope. Maybe you feel like Jairus and you're losing hope. 
you're desperate. Well, today I want to invite you to hear Jesus' words to not be afraid, but to place your trust in him as the one who offers true salvation and healing. Or do you feel like the woman? You've lost hope after all this time. You're feeling isolated, detached from your support system. Well, I want to invite you to hear the words of Jesus that call you a beloved daughter or son, a child of the King, invited into the family of God where you have a place and a purpose. Or maybe you feel like the girl beyond hope. Your faith feels dead. Your hope is dead. Your mind is numb. I don't want to invite you to hear Jesus enter into your space, drawing close to you because he's not afraid of what you're going through. I want you to feel the hand of Jesus reaching out to you to take you by the hand, to raise you up and call you his child. So how is Jesus offering his hope to you? How is Jesus offering his hope to us, to this whole community? Because his healing is larger than our hopes. It encompasses more than just us as individuals, but it extends to everyone around us. Jesus' healing restores bodies. It erases shame. It convicts our judgment. And it transforms hearts. And because of the good news of Jesus, because of the good news of who he is, we can trust him to bring the healing that we need. We can trust his timing to be right, and we can trust him to restore us and heal us in a way larger than we had ever hoped. And so let us not give in to fear, but let us place our hope and our faith in the one who is able to fully heal us. Amen. Amen. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehp.org.